we get to start a brand new sermon series today. Uh, can you believe it's December? Uh, believe it's time to start talking and thinking about Christmas. Um, I, I, Jennifer and I have this uh, parenting philosophy that I'll share, and, and I, some of you guys may have the same thing, but as our kids were growing up and uh, as teenagers, we always had this philosophy is that we wanted our house to be the house that all the teens hung out at. Um, and the reason we, we kind of had ulterior motives in this, because if our house was the place that all the other kids hung out at, that meant we knew where our kids were, right? Does that make sense? As a parent, you, you know, you don't have to worry about where your kids are if they're at your house. And so we were like, hey, invite your friends. They can sleep over. You can come over. And so our house, uh, it's slowed down a little bit now that we've got two out of the house. Um, but our house was always crazy uh, with with people who were like, oh, they're here. We never knew who was who's at our house for supper. It's just like we sit down at supper and there's like two or three faces there. And we're like, oh, we didn't know y'all were going to be here. That's fine. And that's just the way it is at our house. And uh, especially during Fiddler's Week, uh, we'll be like, you know, there'll be people walking in our house at 2 a.m. in the morning. Like uh, Luke said I could sleep here. And we're like, oh, sure, just find a couch. And just, you know, but the thing is, we've always tried to make room for people. Uh, we'll always try to put somebody somewhere at our house. And, and, and you make room for people who are important to you, don't you? You make room for them. And, and, and so this morning, we're going to talk about part of the Christmas story uh, that's familiar. But I, I kind of want to frame it in maybe a new light, a new way this morning to, to, to make you think about it a little differently. Now, the text we're in in Luke, uh, it finds Joseph and, and Mary on their way to Bethlehem. And you know the story, they had to travel back to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's ancestral home. Uh, he, he was part of the, the lineage of David, and that's where they had to go to pay taxes. Um, and so they had to go back, and the timing couldn't have been worse because Mary was very pregnant. Um, and, and they go back to, uh, to, to Bethlehem, and they're traveling to this crowded place, and uh, in, in difficult conditions. And I, I want you to think about something. Like when we travel to a different city and we have to work out where to stay, what do we do? We, we either get on the internet and book our reservation or we pick up the phone and call. Now put yourself back a couple thousand years ago. Um, how are they going to do that? They don't have any way to, to call ahead. They don't have any way to, to email um, and so really, you work things out as you go. Uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, I'm at that age where we grew up, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have cell phones, okay? It, it, you know, you think about that, it's like, how did we get by? It's like, how did our parents know where their kids were? You didn't. You had to trust. You just had to work things out as you go and just hope that they're going to work out. That's kind of the situation they were in, right? Their situation, it's not that it was a lack of planning. It's not like they didn't care. It's just like when they travel, you're going to figure it out. And you've got to trust God that when you get there, things will work out. And you know the story. Um, they had to, you know, they were traveling. They probably had to rely on some extended family, even people they may not have known. But they were traveling to Bethlehem. And let, let me just read it to you in Luke chapter 2. And here's what I want to challenge you with before I read it. Notice what's not in the story just as much as what's in the story. Because we tend to add to it a little bit, okay? At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus dec decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. 
This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This week, we got to go and watch the movie Christmas with the Chosen. And uh, I've mentioned The Chosen a little bit before. It's a series that's uh, kind of, it's going through the life of Jesus. And uh, you can find it online. It's kind of distributed in a unique way through the app or through uh, different things. YouTube has the first season. And uh, 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 there's just different ways to watch it. But it's really amazing because it brings the story of Jesus to life. But one of the things it does, it fills in the missing pieces, Right. It shows things that we may not have thought about or seen. Um, and so it, it, in some ways, it, it's, making, it's bringing it to life by making you realize this was, these were real people and a real story. Now, the Christmas episode, which uh, is in movie theaters for the first time, uh, they've done it this way. It's been in the movie theaters this week, and I think it's on for another day or two maybe. Um, it's been pretty, pretty neat because it's about the Christmas story. It's about Mary and Joseph. And I've got to tell you, watching it, there's a few times that I'm like, my, uh, I noticed this, you know, like water coming out of your, your eye sockets a little bit. I'm like, what is this going on? I mean, it's like, I mean, it's intense. It's it really, I mean, it, it, I wasn't expecting that emotional response watching it. Um, but when you're watching it, I mean, it just really, it made you feel like, oh man, what were they going through and what were they feeling and what were they experiencing? And so one of the things about this story, though, you know, uh, they're traveling to Bethlehem. The story takes a dramatic turn, and they can't find anywhere to stay. And so one of the things we've done in our, I guess, in our, in our retelling of the Christmas story is we've made a villain in the story, because every story needs a villain, villain right? And so the villain in the story is this evil innkeeper who turns them away and won't let them stay in the inn. And so most of the stories, you see this. There's no room, you know, in the, in the movies. And it's this cantankerous person that, you know, kicks them out and, 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 and makes them stay. So here's what's interesting in this story. And I said sometimes we add to the stories a little bit. In the Greek language, there's a word for inn, but that word is not used in this passage. In fact, the Greek word used uh, is the same word that is used when Jesus talks about preparing the upper room. And so I would even say there's a good chance that there was no inn and there was no innkeeper in this story. In this translation, it says there was no lodging available for them. Some say there were no guest rooms available. Um, and so really, what we just don't know about the story um, is that in most likelihood, uh, they were going to a relative's house or some, you know, some family's house. And maybe someone they knew, maybe someone they didn't know, they just knew of. But when they got there, they were simply out of room. There was nowhere for them to stay. And so it kind of makes you think about it in a little bit different way. Uh, that when they got there, this is not always, uh, it wasn't Joseph's fault. It wasn't the innkeeper's fault. This was all part of God's 
plan. And, and so it just made me uh, think about it a little bit as I was studying this week. Um, and so, I, the, you know, when we get into this whole thing, it just makes you realize when Jesus was born, um, and they showed this in that Christmas with the chosen, they showed like Joseph actually having to scoop all the animal stuff out of the way before they actually found a place to, to, to lay down and, and, and to prepare Mary for, for the birth. And I mean, you just, this was a smelly, messy place. Now, we're country people. We know what farms smell like. We know what barns smell like. We know what stables and feeding troughs are like. I don't have to describe that for you, okay? But think about that. This is the way that God had Jesus enter into the world. He, Jesus identifies with the least of the least, the poorest of the poor. He came to us. Uh, he stooped down. He humbled himself. And no one could ever say that Jesus is, you know, that Jesus looked down on me. No, I mean, this is Jesus coming down and showing humility. And, and so uh, that kind of leads me, all of this, the way Jesus came, the way God had everything planned out, the way there was no room available. Uh, when we are in this series talking about how we miss Christmas, here's the first point I want to make. It's simply this. We can only give what we have left. Let me kind of explain a little bit. And, and that statement is a little bit self-explanatory, but let's go back to verse 7. When she wrapped him in the strips of cloth, she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. Now, this was part of God's plan, but it also shows that a lot of people missed the birth of Jesus because they weren't prepared for it, because they weren't expecting it, because they had no room. And I think that even today, many people miss the birth of Jesus, miss the celebration of Christmas, miss the true meaning of Christmas because they have no room. And that's what I want to talk about today, how we deal with those distractions. When Joseph and Mary tried to, to, to get in and find lodging, uh, they were turned away. Now, again, it was simply because there was no room available. And so they ended up in this stable. And I've even heard, we, you know, when you start studying, it could have been a room in the house. It could have been a, even a cave. It, 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 like, it, it, we really don't know all the details, but what we know is this is where the animals stayed. And so the truth is, again, a lot of people missed out on the birth because they weren't expecting it. They weren't looking for it. And they had other priorities. I, I did a sermon series a few years ago. Over the years, um, I, I would say there's been a few sermon series that we've done that have stood out, um, that people have remembered, that people talked to me about. Uh, one was R12 that we did years ago, talked about Romans 12 and discipleship, and that was a really neat one. One was Margin um, that we did, and we talked about, there was a book, Margin. Uh, did, who in here, does anybody in here remember that sermon series, Margin? Okay, a few. Um, and there's a book by Richard Swenson. Uh, and it's the book's margin and restoring emotional, spiritual, and something reserves to a hectic, crowded life. Um, but he defines margin this way, and I, I want to just go go back to his definition. He said, "Margin is the space between our load and our limits." Um, 
He says it's related to our reserves, our resilience. It's a buffer. It's a leeway. It's a gap. A place we go to heal, to relate, to reflect, to recharge our batteries, and to focus on the things that matter most. And we have margin. We should have margin in many areas of our life. We should have financial margin. Uh, we should have time margin. We should have energy margin. Right? We should have margin. It's the space between our load and our limits. The problem is many of us are at our limits already. So we have no margin. But margin is where growth happens. When we're always overextended, when we're always at our limit, when we're carrying a load that we simply cannot do anymore, do any, we're just pushed all the way to our limit all the time, we have no margin. And we live in a world today that kind of glorifies that lack of margin. That's the way we live. And so uh, when we're overextended, we have no margin. And here's the reality. Christmas is the perfect time for people to overextend themselves. We think we're doing good, but in reality, we can miss what is most important. Christmas is the time where we're so busy because we think we have to go everywhere. We think we have to do everything. We think we have to buy everything that we completely wipe out every bit of margin we have in our life. And so I want to challenge us a little bit today. Um, we've got to really have room. We've got to make room. We've got to find ourselves in a place where we can really truly seek out Jesus. In Matthew 11, Jesus kind of gives us an, an invitation to a lifestyle, to a way of life that I think is foreign to us today. He, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And so do you feel rested um, as we head into Christmas this year? Are y'all... can? Can, I mean, do, is rested a word we would use to describe ourselves during the Christmas holidays? I feel so rested and relaxed and recharged. Or do we feel just simply like, how am I going to survive this? Right? Is that, I, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm already like looking at my calendar and thinking, who, who agreed to do all this stuff? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. And I'm like, how are we going to be all these places? How are we going to do all this? And, and then we got family stuff. We got church stuff. We got kids stuff. And we got it all this. And we're like, goodness gracious. Where are we going to find rest in the midst of all the craziness at the holiday? My question is, where are we going to find Jesus in the midst of all that? We can get so busy. We can get so distracted um, that we overextend, we overwhelm ourselves about everything we need to do and are committed to do and everywhere we need to be and everything we need to buy, all the taxes we have to pay. And I can keep going, right? This is the American way of Christmas. And I feel like there's a better way. And so we're starting this series, Missing Christmas, and we're starting it right now before we get so headlong into the craziness of the season that we've missed what it's all about. And so that kind of brings me to my second point. If you don't make room for Jesus, you will miss Christmas. 
I don't want you on the day after Christmas to go and say, whoo, we made it. But what about Jesus? You know, we really didn't talk about him much. We really didn't think about him much. But man, we sure ate good. We sure went a lot of places. We saw a bunch of Christmas lights. We had fun. But we survived. But what about Jesus? I'm not talking about making room for Christmas. I'm talking about making room for Christ. And we can be so easily consumed with all the stuff around Christmas that we miss Christ. Have y'all seen the movie Christmas with the Cranks? Okay. It's a funny movie. I gotta admit, I'm trying to think if there's anything inappropriate. I hadn't seen it in a while. So if I recommend it, I'm sorry. I don't, if, if there's anything bad in it. But it's funny. Okay. It's a funny movie. And it's based on a book called Skipping Christmas by John Grisham, if you didn't know. Um, but the whole movie, I'll kind of tell it to you in a nutshell. Uh, this, this couple, the Cranks, uh, their, daughter, their, their youngest daughter is moving out of the house. She's joining the Peace Corps, going to Peru. So they're like, okay, it's Christmas time. It's just us. Last Christmas was crazy. We spent all this money. Let's do something different this year. Let's skip Christmas. That means let's not, do any, let's not buy any gifts. Let's not do any decorations. Let's not even talk about Christmas. Instead, let's take our money and go on a 10-day Caribbean cruise. Now, for some of y'all, y'all like, sign me up. That sounds good. I, I, I want to do that. And that's their plan. I, and, of course, it's a movie. It's a book. Their plan goes haywire. Their daughter calls them at the last minute and says, Hey, I'm coming home and I'm bringing a friend with me. And he's the, the fiancé and they haven't met him yet. And she's excited about all the meals and the parties that they always have a big Christmas party. So at the last minute, they're like, Oh, my goodness, we have to decorate our house. And the neighborhood's already mad at them that they hadn't done anything. And every, I mean, it's just one, like, you know, crazy story after another in the movie. Uh, but they end up decorating the house of the neighborhoods and the community pulls together, throws a Christmas party for the daughter that comes home and, and ends up, you know, it, it's just one of those sappy stories at the end. But it's, kind, it's just funny to watch because their whole goal was let's skip Christmas. And, then, and, and by doing that, they ended up really finding the true meaning of Christmas. And I feel like for many of us, that's kind of where we're at. We would like, you know, man, I, I would love to just skip Christmas because of all the stuff that goes on around Christmas. Um, and I know, you know, it just, it, what we really want to skip is the materialistic, the commercialized, the, just the craziness of the season. But what we cannot skip is Jesus. And so I'm challenging us a little bit today to not get so caught up in the activities around Christmas that we miss Christ. Um, and I'll just say this too. It's not just all the stuff that's commercialized that distracts us from Christ at Christmas. We can get even caught up in doing good stuff at Christmas. Because that's when you're supposed to do good stuff, right? It's the Christmas holidays. That's when we've got to serve. That's when we've got to do stuff. And, and so you'll see, I mean, we've got opportunities for you to serve through this Christmas holiday. And whether it's packing shoeboxes or angel tree. But you're going to hear me say something that not many pastors will say this morning. <laughs> they will say in churches. We don't expect you to do everything. We don't expect you to be here every single time the doors open at church. We don't expect you to serve every single time we give you an opportunity to serve. 
the truth is, we not, you can't do everything. And so I don't want you to feel guilty when you see we have a whole list of things to do at Cornerstone thinking, man, i got to do this and this. We don't want to keep you away from Christ. Now, I think you should do something, but you can't do everything. And so I just challenge you a little bit with that, is how are you making room for Christ? It's not, we can get so caught up in doing good things that we still miss why we do them. Now, I'm not just, I'm not just kind of ragging on good deeds and, and telling you you shouldn't do something good. I mean, we were all created to do good things. Ephesians 2.10 is very clear that God saved us and He saved us so that we could do good things that He planned for us long ago. We're His masterpiece. He has created us, shaped us, molded us. He has created us with a purpose. Galatians 6.10 says that we have, whenever we have the opportunity... We should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. But we can't get so busy doing good things that we miss the reason we do them. And, and, and so I'll just say this. Let me challenge you a little bit. Instead of trying to cram a whole year's worth of good deeds into December, why don't we spread them out and do them all year long? <laughs> why don't we... I mean. Do you realize we still have needs in January and there's still needs in July. There's still people that need help all throughout the year. And so for so many people, it's like, oh, I've got to get in the Christmas spirit. And the way I do that is to do something good for someone else. And that's the only time that they're really thinking about it. Let's spread that out all year round. Let's get in, 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 a, in, a, in a rhythm of life where we can find rest, where we can find health, where we can find Christ, and we can serve Him uh, just out of part of our normal, everyday rhythm of life. Now, I read a quote by Mother Teresa uh, that another pastor shared, and it was kind of talking about why she did all this for the poor. And, and, and they asked her, how did you develop your heart for the poor? She responded, I don't have a heart for the poor. I have a heart for Jesus, and I follow him to the poor. There's a lot of truth there, right? That's the mentality we need to have. It's like, why do we have a heart to serve at Christmas? No, we have a heart for Jesus. And because of Jesus, when I follow Jesus, he's the one that leads me to what I need to do, when I need to do it, and the spirit I, I, I need for that. Do you remember the story in, in, in Luke chapter 10 about Jesus stopping by at the home of his friends, Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus? And they welcomed him. They visited for a minute. Martha ran off to the kitchen to fix some supper. Uh, Mary, um, she just sat at the feet of Jesus. And I don't know who you relate to in this story. I, I, I've got the Martha personality, though. Um, I, I will admit, like last night... Um, Drew will probably tell you, I was in the kitchen doing dishes, and the longer I did them, the, the madder I was getting. Do y'all ever do this? I'm like, I've got a teenage son. Why is he not in here? Like, Drew, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing homework. I'm like, I guess I got to do this. That was the only excuse. See, I mean, if he was playing video games or watching TV, he was, I was going to, uh, you know, going to get on him. But, I mean, I'm like, you know, that, that's the... That's the mentality we have. It's like, why are you not doing this? Why am I doing this all by myself? And that's what Martha was doing. Her sister wasn't helping. And she's like, she's just, I can just see her fuming, getting madder and madder. She finally gets to the point. It's like, Jesus, tell my sister to get her butt in here and help me. That's the, that's, that's the Martha attitude. And I can relate to that, okay? 
And Mary's just in there with Jesus. So what did Jesus tell her? There's, did Jesus say, yes, there's plenty of stuff we got to get done. There's all this stuff that we got to do. You've got to serve. You've got to move it. You've got to go. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. There's so much about Jesus that is so countercultural. Instead of do more, accomplish more, get busier, he's like, slow down and just chill out. He's just like telling Martha, what's your problem? Martha, don't be so worried. Don't stress out. Don't, this is, everything's going to be all right. Just come in and listen. You know, Martha was making room for a meal, but Mary was making room for Jesus. And I think for us, so many times we're like, okay, I got to get this done. I got to do this. And we're not making room for Jesus. Now, we don't know what happened after that. We don't know how Martha responded. I have a feeling, though. I mean, I'm just if I inject and I feel in the middle missing pieces here based on our society, our world today, I would say she didn't like just drop everything and run to Jesus. I would say she was still trying to, well, let me get this done first. Well, I got to get this. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> That's what we do. We try to, we try, we try to compromise and make everybody happy, fulfill all our obligations, and then with what's left, we present it to Jesus. After everything else, after we've tried to do every, make everyone else happy, do everything else we're supposed to do, then we give Jesus the leftovers. You know, I think if we would look back on last Christmas, the Christmas before, the years past, I, I think a lot of people would say, you know, I don't think we really made room for Jesus. I, I wish I would have stayed longer. I wish I would have talked more. I wish I would have listened more. I wish I would have uh, done less and visited more. I, I think we would look back and, and say uh, some of the stuff that at the time we thought was so important really didn't make a difference. So why don't we do it different this year? Why don't we kind of refocus and really focus on Jesus this year? Now, there's another danger, I think, in, in doing good things at Christmas. And I'll just share this as we, we kind of get towards the end here. I think a lot of people think, and I hear this so much in our area, especially that people have grown up around the church uh, they've gotten bits and pieces of the gospel. They're like, I've got to do all of this good stuff so God will look down on me and be pleased with me. I've got to make God happy. Uh, I want to go to heaven one day, so I want to do enough good things that God's going to look at me and say, okay, you did enough good stuff, I'm going to let you into heaven. Can I just tell you that it doesn't matter how many good things you do, your good works will not get you into heaven. You, that's not how you are made right with God. That's not how you are accepted with God. Uh, we do good works because of our response to what God has already done in our life. God looks at us while we are yet sinners and He still loves us and He still died for us. 
And, and so we've got to understand that we're saved by grace, not by our good works. Now, I shared earlier in Ephesians 2.10 about how we're created to do those good works. If you back up a few verses, it tells us really the whole story here. God saved you by His grace when you believed. So you're saved by your belief, not by your good works. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. I mean, that, we just have to, to, to remind ourselves of that, but we have to tell others this too. Because so many people are mistaken about how they enter the kingdom of God. It says none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. But the first step is understanding we're saved by grace through faith. And so one of my favorite Christmas verses is not even in the Christmas story. It's Paul in Galatians describing why Jesus came. In Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, he, this is what Paul says, When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. This is the gospel. This is God's plan. God created the world because of sin. We were separated from God. Now he has made a way. And at the very right time, God did not delay. God did not wait. God just said, okay, now is the time. There had been 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. People were waiting on God. They were wondering, has God forgotten about us? But then God said, okay, it's time. And he sent Jesus to become one of us, to provide us a way that we could be made right with God. And so he sent him, born of a woman, subject to the law, but he sent him to buy freedom for us. And how did he do that? He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He became the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And he went to the cross on our behalf. And when he was crucified and killed, he took our sin upon himself. And in exchange, we receive his righteousness to all who believe. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. He rose back to, uh, to send back to heaven. And because of that, we get to spend eternity with him forever. This is the gospel message. This is what people need to hear at Christmas. The reason Jesus came is so that he could save us. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. Romans 5 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us as sinners. The manger leads to the cross. We have to understand why Jesus came so that we can celebrate him at Christmas. And so in his death and his resurrection, he makes a way for us to declare us righteous, to save us from sin, to save us from death and from hell. And all we have to do is put our belief, our trust, our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save us. And so here at Christmas time, I, I, I want to just challenge us. Let's not lose Christ 
and all the good things we think we're supposed to do and all the family activities and all the meals and all the places we're supposed to be and all the Christmas pageants at school and all the dress up and parties and food and meals. Let's not lose Christ in the midst of all that. So we're going to keep going in this series. We're going to keep looking at ways that we get distracted and and we miss Christ. But I, I wanted to start off today just saying it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to look back and have regrets. And so I want to challenge you. Let's keep our focus on Jesus this holiday. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for this church and all the things that you are doing through the people here of Cornerstone. But Lord, all of our efforts are in vain if they're not done with you at the center. So help us keep Jesus at the center of what we do. Help us keep our eyes on the author, the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to serve people in need. And I pray that we would have room, room in our schedule, room in our, our time and our energy, room in our finances, just room in our heart that we could reach out and serve and share the love of Christ. Lord, I pray that for everyone watching, everyone here today, that they would be able to say with certainty that I know who my Savior is. I know why Jesus died for me. And I put my faith and my trust in Jesus to save me. Lord, I, your word just tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that God, you raised him from the dead. Then we'll be saved. That's the promise we have from you. So this Christmas, just help us to make room. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to to love and follow after Jesus and stay close to Him. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.